0: without emotional intelligence, our marriages pretty much suffer Mm -hmm. because we lack the self awareness of how our actions, how what I'm doing impacts our partner. I'm more just within and I'm not looking outward to see how my actions even have any bearing on the situation. And I think that's what we run into most with the clients that we coach. Lacking emotional intelligence will also gives us an inability to have difficult conversations Mm. and the inability to repair those conversations when we have messed up.
1: Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage?
0: Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration.
1: Hi there, I'm Charlotte Snow.
0: And I'm Robert Snow.
1: And welcome to Master Your Marriage,
0: where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game.
1: This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it.
0: So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. We're entering a really interesting era in a very short period of time, We've seen a rapid technological advancements in artificial intelligence, which we call AI. Mm -hmm. Machines are now performing tasks that could once only be done by human intelligence.
1: And there's a lot of debate happening in the world about whether we are headed toward a future that is dominated by AI. Oh, yeah, I think we are. There are projections that greater than 30% of jobs will quickly be replaced by artificial intelligence. In fact, many leaders believe that AI will replace everything the intelligent mind can do. Oh, man. Think of that, though. Intellectual intelligence may no longer even give humans an edge because computers will only do it better and faster. So much faster. The IQ world that we've come to know is really coming to an end. We don't necessarily know what the future is going to look like, but we know that it's going to involve Emotional intelligence.
0: Yes. And this is why emotional intelligence or EQ is emerging as a vital skill set for the future. In fact, some thought leaders are saying that it is the single most advantageous skill set that we can possess as we move into a challenging future where AI mm-hmm. is replacing IQ based roles.
1: Not only is emotional intelligence likely the most important skill set for the future, Mm -hmm. it is also the most important skill set for your relationships, especially your marriage.
0: Emotional intelligence, which is often abbreviated as EQ, meaning emotional quotient,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: refers to the ability to recognize, understand, manage, and utilize one's own emotions effectively. Mm -hmm. It also is the ability to perceive and influence the
1: emotions of others. So that means it encompasses things like empathy, Mm -hmm. Mm self-awareness, social skills, emotional regulation. So while IQ, which means intelligence quotient, measures things like cognitive abilities and problem-solving skills, EQ focuses on human interactions and relationships.
0: And that's what we want to spend today's episode talking about. So we want to spend a few minutes talking about emotional intelligence and why it is vitally important in your relationships and marriage. And we want to share three ways Mm -hmm. that we can work towards strengthening your emotional intelligence for the betterment of all of our relationships.
1: Right. So before we dive into that, let's quickly backtrack for some of our newer listeners and recap some of the highlights of John Gottman's research his his marriage and divorce predictability research oh yeah and we talk about this on the podcast a lot already but it's super relevant to this topic on emotional intelligence so why don't you start us out
0: so they got a bunch of couples and they had them have three discussions what were the three discussions again so he was- brought
1: them into the, his lab and he f- had them first talk about, their day, how their day was going for 15 minutes. Then he would have them talk about a problem that they were having in their relationship, a major conflict and try to solve it in 15 minutes. And then the third conversation he had them um, have was just to talk about something in the future, talk about a vacation that they were planning.
0: And the best part about the study was he brought back the same couples year after year Mm -hmm. for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, They brought them back every three years. And so they wanted to really just study what it was like In all of the stages of their life, newlywed to having children, to Mm -hmm. changing jobs, to retiring and, Mm -hmm. and the whole thing and try to figure out what these couples had in common.
1: And while they were having these conversations, Gottman and his researchers were monitoring their stress hormones and taking a lot of different measurements so that when he did bring them back year after year, He was able to figure out, okay, which couples stayed together, which ones ended up divorced, and which ones stayed together miserably. And can we put these couples into two different groups, which he did, and he labeled them the masters. And the disasters. And the disasters. What was common about those relationships that ultimately ended up failing? And he discovered eight predictors for divorce. And And
0: we've covered those in past podcasts. We have. But to sum it up, his research indicated that it was a 90 to 94% accuracy rate in predicting which couples would make it all the way and which ones would either divorce or somehow be miserable.
1: Right. And it really came down to, these predictors all came down to how the couples argued, basically how they handled conflict. And this is familiar to you guys already because we talk about this research all the time on the show, but...
0: If we broaden our view just a bit, we see that all of those eight predictors for divorce have one major theme, and that is lower emotional intelligence in these couples.
1: So that means that in every case where couples were struggling to manage conflict, where they managed conflict poorly, there was also... Poor self awareness, Mm -hmm. poor emotional regulation. They were getting triggered. They were not, they were getting flooded. They weren't handling conflict very well because they lacked emotional intelligence. And so here we see again that emotional intelligence really emerges again as a critical factor in determining the success and the longevity of a marriage.
0: Absolutely. Emotional intelligence will improve your communication. Um, it will also completely change how you manage conflict. Mm-hmm. It helps us have more understanding and and even more empathy for our partner, which helps us r- provide more support and more love to one another
1: exactly. and it and it helps us, I think, too. Another thing that um, comes to mind is resilience. and I, I think yeah. that's a really important word to bring in here because it helps couples to go the distance in their relationship. It's what gives us the resilience to tolerate. Some of the discomfort that comes with having to grow in our relationships, and some of the discomfort that we experience in in just life, right? It's what gives our marital challenges meaning and purpose, and what helps us to forgive each other and to well. You know, I mean
0: you think about, sorry, I interrupted you there. but okay. I, I think about marriage as this growing machine. We have to grow together, and and I can't sing, think of a single time when growing anything in my life to become better was very comfortable.
1: Exactly. It's not, it's usually takes, it takes a lot of resilience and, and that's also what helps us to, um, be adaptable. I think that's another really important factor in emotional intelligence is that we're more flexible. We're more adaptable to these things that we, that we struggles that we go through together
0: and without emotional intelligence, our marriages pretty much suffer Mm -hmm. because we lack the self awareness of how our actions, how, what I'm doing impacts our partner, right? I'm more just within, and I'm not looking outward to see how my actions even, even have any bearing on the situation. Right. And I think that's what we run into most with the, with the clients that we coach, um, lacking emotional intelligence will also, it, it gives us an inability to have difficult conversations mm-hmm. and the inability to, to repair those conversations when we have messed up. We don't even know that we need to repair
1: yeah, and I think one of the most important skills we really have to manage in our relationships is that ability to have difficult conversations. That's so important. So if there's one thing that can almost guarantee success in a relationship, it's developing emotional intelligence together as a couple. So yes, why don't absolutely. we why don't we go ahead and explore a few ways now that we can actually work on developing that?
0: I would say the first step in increasing your EQ in your, in your relationship is self-awareness. You need to gain a deeper understanding of your own emotions, your own triggers, and behavioral patterns. This comes through self-observation and some self-reflection.
1: Yeah, and this is a topic we've talked before in our past episodes. We did a whole episode on understanding our triggers, where yep. our triggers come from, and how our childhood experiences and our caretakers wire these trigger buttons into us that as adults it becomes our responsibility to unwire or rewire some of those unhealthy reactions or triggers that we've created.
0: I love that. They're sort of hardwired in yet we can, we can, we can change them. This is where the concept of acting with agency comes in. Agency represents your free will or your ability to make choices. I often question how much agency or free will we have as humans, considering how much of this hardwired triggers and past experiences have been kind of brought into our adult lives.
1: Yeah, I thought about that too. And and I like how Carl Jung answers that because he says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you're going to think that it's fate. So to me, what that is saying is that the way that we then have free will and the way that we then act with agency is actually to become aware of those triggers, those patterns, so that we can make different choices that align with who we want to be.
0: And who we feel like we are. Yeah. Yeah. Another part of self-awareness is also knowing who we are. And I think this is an important part of just understanding and growing our emotional intelligence.
1: Yeah. I mean, think of it. If we don't know who we are, if we don't know what we really believe, if we don't have some sense of a philosophy of life, then how can we even possibly like judge our own decisions mm-hmm. and behaviors and know, am I on track? Am I doing a good job?
0: Yeah. Am I kind of the person I want to be?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think a lot of us have a general idea of like, okay, here's what I believe and Here's who I feel like I am. But I also think that most of us haven't given it as much thought as maybe we could. I agree. Like what kind of person do you want to be? What do you want your legacy to be? How do you want people to talk about
1: you? Mm. And if I'm not clear on that, if I'm not clear on my personal mission and how I want to live my life, then how do I measure my success?
0: Yeah, it's it's about setting clear personal priorities so that you have a benchmark by which you can measure your actions. And if you don't have a clear sense of self, it's challenging to evaluate your decisions and behaviors. And you're almost like a, a boat without a rudder.
1: And so it seems like the first step in really becoming more emotionally intelligent must be to become more self-aware. Of who we are, mm-hmm. what our purpose is, and what our priorities are.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it, I think it can have a lot of different missions at different times in your life.
1: And this goes back to values as well. You know what yeah. what's what's been important to me, like in my life, and some of the things have been breaking, you know, old patterns or healing relationships and learning how to love unconditionally. That's been something that's been huge for me to work on. In the last 10 years of my life with both with you and our relationship and and healing some things from our past, but also with our children and the type of mom that I want to be to them and what kind of example I want to legacy, like you said, that I want to leave them. And so that's why I can like look at my behaviors. And this is why, for example, it's super important you know, when you leave the house every day, why it is I don't let you leave without a hug. Without a kiss. And if you try to walk out the door, it's like, get back in here. You didn't say goodbye to me properly. I want it, I want my hug and a kiss before you leave because that's something that I've worked on, you know, for the last several years and why it's important that we appreciate each other. So these are just things that are part of my mission. And and because I know that, I can measure and I can make adjustments and I can be more self aware and I can ask, like, am I making decisions that are aligned again with my values? my beliefs with my with what i feel like my purpose is and i can look at things like you know like my overreactions my temper my my offenses my judgments and i can say okay Sharla would the person i'm striving to be talk like that react like that would that person think like that
0: yeah and and i've had a very similar thing over the past number of years where you know raised the raised the way i was were screaming yelling were just the normal um To learn how to be calm and 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 find kind of this, this, a better way to respond, you know.
1: Where you take the breath.
0: Yeah, where you take the breath. And acting with agency isn't always easy. There can be Mm -hmm. so many forces pulling us in different directions. And one of the biggest obstacles we face is really our own habits and those triggers that are sort of hardwired in to us as adults, which can make it difficult to act. Within our own agency. Mm -hmm. There's a famous quote by Martin Luther who says there are two days that matter this day and judgment day. So if we look back from judgment day, when we're dead, what will have mattered? At what point will things make a difference?
1: And what things will make a difference? Yeah. What will have really mattered as we look back at our life? Like what, what really matters? What were
0: the important things? I like that
1: quote a lot and you know with that perspective it helps again to reframe what would i do how would i act in the moment today because that's the only other day that matters how would i act in the present moment that would really be in alignment with again what really matters most
0: and what ma- what matters most to yourself right mm-hmm. yeah
1: mm-hmm. and so that was self awareness we just talked about that was the first step what's uh-huh. the second step in strengthening Emotional intelligence.
0: Well, the second step is, is like it's it's taking responsibility for our own actions and our own responses. Mm-hmm. I heard someone once say that emotional intelligence can be measured by how we respond to these hardwired triggers and how long it takes us to recover after we're triggered.
1: Yeah. And one of my all-time favorite quotes comes from Viktor Frankl, and he was a psychologist Mm -hmm. and a Holocaust survivor. And he said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In reality, I think it'd be appropriate to add that it's only potential space because you can take advantage of it or not.
1: Mm-hmm. And we
0: often forget that there's a potential there mm-hmm. to slow down and be considerate.
1: Yeah. And so then, because we don't think about that when something happens, some stimulus happens, someone somebody, says something. Somebody does something. Right. Our response is just immediate. Oh. We just we just react. We don't even pause in that space and think, how do I want to react to this? How should I think about this? Like, What would that person that I'm trying to be, what would that person do right now?
0: Yeah. And the goal is to really notice that space and mm-hmm. control what happens in that space. That way we're not ref- we're not reacting impulsively to what other people do and say. Mm-hmm. As I love to say, let your first response be your breath.
1: Let your first response be your breath.
0: Re- which is really a reminder to me just to pause and lean into that space. Mm-hmm. Be considered
1: really stretch that space out yeah. even right in your mind yeah and you know and that's because there's so much that we can't control going on around us externally but there the one thing that we can control is our response it's our actions our thoughts and what we do with that space between stimulus and response
0: stephen covey has a quote about where he talks about this taking responsibility mm-hmm. he says look at the word responsibility it's response plus ability. Mm. It's the ability to choose your response.
1: Mm.
0: Emotionally intelligent people recognize that responsibility. They do not blame or justify their behavior. They just own it.
1: So in other words, our actions are a result of a choice. Mm -hmm. We can't blame other people. And in part, acting with agency is just what we do with that Space between stimulus and response. And I that like also, that. I
0: like that. Acting with agency is what we do with that space between stimulus and right. response. Yeah. Right. Okay. I like that.
1: Another quote that I like was from Epictetus, and he said, Any person capable of angering you becomes your master.
0: I like to say that anyone capable of angering you is your puppet master because they're really just jumping on your buttons mm. and mm. pulling your strings. Mm. I don't think there's anywhere else where this stimulus response space um, is more poorly managed than within our own homes, with right. our family, with our spouse, and certainly in my case with my children. I yeah. don't think that. I think that maybe over the years I'm starting to become a little more zen when it comes to the things that they do and the things that they say. But I'm I'm still striving to be that person.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting how much of a struggle it really is within our family. But I think that's because of the primary family that we grew up with, and 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 it's a reminder. Like in our family units now, it's a reminder of of the past. And so we're often running these old patterns. Maybe we had a critical or defensive or abusive parent that that did things in a certain way, and so sometimes we get on autopilot and we react in the same way because that's what we know, because that's yeah. what's familiar, yeah.
0: and that's what we saw growing up, mm-hmm. and. Because of this, we often go directly from stimulus to response without pausing and acting with our agency that lies in that space.
1: Right. So it's, you know, obviously this is really easy to do when everything is calm, everything is going perfectly in your life, when everyone agrees with you.
0: everyone thinks like you.
1: And everybody loves you. Everybody likes you. Everything's going perfectly. But
0: that's not the case. Um It's not always that way. And how easy it is to deliberately inflict pain on someone with harsh words just because we're hurting, you know, how easy it is to try to control others when we're unable to even manage our own emotions.
1: What if, like I said earlier, what if in our mind we could take that space between stimulus and response and kind of mentally imagine in our minds, stretching that space out and asking What would the person that I say I am, the person that I'm striving to be, what would that person do right now? Would that person talk like that, react like that, think like that? Yeah.
0: Okay. The third step in developing EQ is realizing that managing our responses does not mean giving up all of our emotions or constricting them. Right. Emotions are what give us the ability to have compassion and to have empathy. And so EQ actually thrives within empathy.
1: Yeah, it's 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 making an effort, right? Using emotional intelligence is also making an effort to try to understand your partner's perspective, to be able to step into their feelings, it's being able to listen and understand and to listen non-defensively. It's being able to ask open-ended questions because you're really trying to step into their shoes and try to understand their experience and then validating or letting them know that you actually do understand their experience or that it some way makes sense to you.
0: Yeah. And and that's where the empathy comes in, right? And
1: that's emotional intelligence as well. That's
0: emotional intelligence. So at its core, EQ is becoming self-aware of our own feelings, thoughts, and motivations.
1: And what's so interesting about that is that the better we get at that, the more aware we are of other people's emotions. Mm, Because after all, you know, we're all just human. We're not so different from one another. Yeah, and so it, it helps us to be able to, the more aware we are of our own, the the easier it is for us to relate to other people.
0: Yeah. You're seeing people who don't seem to be aware that they're hurting your feelings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they're also the ones that are struggling with this emotional intelligence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So emotional intelligence is a powerful force that can transform your marriage from good to great. And as we work on developing more emotional intelligence, we'll have stronger connections, We'll better navigate challenges in our relationships, and we'll be far more, far more likely to succeed.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Hey, this is a journey, yeah. right? We say this all the time, and this is no different. Developing emotional intelligence is going to require ongoing effort and practice, right? And it's and and grace because we don't all grow at the same rate. You and your spouse won't grow at the no, same rate, right? You are sometimes are going to like leapfrog over each other, and so. We have to give grace, but the rewards for working on it, the rewards for your marriage, your your personal well-being, and likely the future of yes. the world, really, like it's going to be immeasurable.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of businesses that lean really hard on emotional intelligence. Yeah. And, and
1: more so all the time.
0: Yeah. It's about time that we take this and apply it into our personal relationships as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, I think that's enough for today, don't you?
1: I think that was a lot to think about. Yeah, that was a lot to think about. So thank you for joining us today. If this episode resonated with you, would you do us a favor and go drop us a five-star review and maybe share with us something that you found valuable in today's episode?
0: As always, be kind to each other, take care of each other, put each other first. It's the small and simple things every day that create strong relationships.
1: Until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question.
1: Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching.
0: And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.